Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. If you say, Phil, I hear other people pray and I don't know how to pray like that, I just want to remind you that the prayers of the Old Testament most often were conversational. And I'm taken back to a moment uh, way, way back when Kim and I lived in California and we were attending a Bible study there in, uh, in Central Valley, uh, right outside in, in, in San Fernando Valley in the Central Valley location. And at the end of every small group, we would break for men and women and because this Bible study was big, everybody would go to a different room and pray. And I have a fond memory of four of us gathering. This is just like crystal clear to me. Of four of us gathering in a room. One of those was me. I'm a seminary student at the time. One was a man who would later become an elder in, in his church out there. And the other was a, a guy who would become a missionary to South Africa. And the fourth person, are you ready for this, had just become a believer. He was a music producer in L.A. He still is a music producer in L.A. And he... Uh, <clears throat> And he was in that room with us, but he had only been a Christian for just a few months, right? Here's what happened. The one guy said, hey, let's pray around. And so we all started praying around like a seminary student, like a potential elder, like, you, like everybody would pray. And then it came to Scott. Okay? And I actually kind of wondered, like he's only been praying, he's only been a believer for a couple months. He, he can opt out and say, I'm taking a pass, okay? I'm not going to pray publicly here. But this is what he said. My God, this is Scott. I had never really done this very much before. And then for just about 60 seconds, he added some things, and then he kind of said, amen. And I remember thinking, I think that's the prayer God heard. So before you say, Phil, it's awkward for me, like I, I don't quite know how to do it, I just want to remind you, that the prayers in the Bible are often conversational. They're not memorized, they're not rote, they're just people having a conversation with God. Now, with that in mind, I want to unpack for you um, four ideas, four themes that we see running through Old Testament prayers. Request, complaint, confession, and blessing, okay? Request, complaint, confession, and blessing. I'm going to tell you in advance, there was new stuff for me here this week, something I hadn't really thought about much before. So let me me give you the first one, and then we'll kind of unpack it using some of the scriptures. When we bring a request, that kind of prayer may be brief, but it must be done in faith. Now, each one of these words will have with it, it may be, but it must be, okay? So that's just kind of how I want you to track. The prayer may be brief, but it must be done in faith. In other words, we're asking God to do something in the request that we ourselves could not do. We acknowledge that we're unable and we're depending upon God to do it. Let me show you one of the first occurrences of that request in the scriptures. You may remember in uh, the book of Numbers, Moses now has moved the people out of the land of Egypt. He's got two and a half million people. Most of them complain a lot. And uh, two of them that complain in this moment are his brother and sister, Aaron and his sister Miriam. And they complain. They say, hey, listen, why is God only speaking to Moses? What about the rest of us? Okay. And God immediately says, listen, um, you're not honoring my servant Moses, who I speak to face to face. And and all of a sudden, when the cloud departs there, Miriam is stricken with leprosy, okay? Totally white, the Bible says, like it was a miracle that she got it, right? 
And this is Moses' prayer. I love this. And Moses cried to the Lord, oh, God, please heal her, please. Okay? Moses spends most of his time praying for the people who did something wrong. And here's one of those occurrences. By the way, she just criticized him, and Moses prays for her. But I love this. Notice how simple this request is. Only six words. In fact, it's six words in the Hebrew, too. Oh, God, please heal her, please. That's all it is. And I notice in that that, that that there is this prayer on Moses' part that is simple and is brief. And that means that you and I can pray like that. We don't have to worry that I, I don't have time to pray in a long way now. Just pray conversationally, quick, to the point. I notice a couple of things immediately. I notice then when we ask, we want to ask from humility and we want to ask for his glory. When we make the request, whatever it is of the Lord, we need to come with a spirit of humility. We don't come demanding. We don't come telling the Lord what to do. We do come from a spirit of humility. In fact, in Numbers chapter 12, uh, verse 13 is the verse I quoted, but in verse 3, this is what it says, and Moses was the most humble person on the face of the planet. Okay. Here is a man who makes his request from a position of humility. And you find that actually in the address, too. Moses cried out to the Lord, that's the Hebrew word for Yahweh, oh God, that's the uh, Hebrew word El, it's the most high God, please heal her, please. He is saying, Yahweh, you are the personal eternal God, and you are the one who is higher than anything else that's down here, and I'm asking you to heal. He asked God for what he cannot do. That's the posture of humility. But you notice there's another idea there. I think we need to ask more requests for his glory. And I just want to take you to another completely different passage to do that. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there's another request made. And you may remember this. This is where Elijah um, goes toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal. It's like, it's like playoff season, okay? There's 450 prophets of Baal. They spend all day calling out to their God, who's a false god, Baal. And, and while they're doing that, Elijah kind of mocks them and says, listen, where's your God? He hasn't shown up. What's he doing? Like, and, and all of a sudden... Elijah gets ready to pray, and he has created um, this altar with stack the wood up on the altar. He's asked them to pour water, which is, uh, they've been in a drought for a while. It's, it's amazing that they even had that much water around. They pour barrels of water because Elijah wants everybody to know that God is the one who did this, not him. Okay. Now, at the time of the offering of the oblation, or that's the evening offering, Elijah the prophet came near and said, here's his prayer. It's a request, a little longer than Moses. Oh, Lord, there's that idea again, Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, oh, Lord. Now, watch this. Answer me that this people may know that you, oh, Lord, are God. Just for a moment, think about it. When was the last time we asked of God a request only for his glory, not for us to get our answer? You see that? Then he goes on to say, then what happens? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. So, okay, not simply did the offering burn, but everything burned, okay? And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You see it? The Lord, Yahweh, is God, El, the, the most high God. The Lord, Yahweh, is the most high God. There it is again. 
Elijah specifically prayed and asked God that his glory would be shown and that the people would see his glory. It's this great reminder, I think, that when we pray, bring the request, we should more often say, Lord, may your name be glorified. May your name be glorified. I'm asking from humility, and I want you to get the glory. Uh, William Carey, the founder of a modern American missions, used to say it this way, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. But Carey also was a praying person. He reminded us that we not only expect things, but we pray that God would bring those things to pass. Now, let me introduce you to another word that thematically runs through the scripture, the Old Testament in particular, regarding prayer, and it's the word complaint. Now, we don't think of complaint usually as a good word, right? Um, <clears throat> we usually think of it as a negative word. And what I want you to see is our complaint may be voiced to God, but it must not be voiced to others about God. This is where the Israelites messed it up. They were always complaining about God, not bringing their concern, their grievance to God. Now, this should do a couple of things for you right away. It should let you know when we unpack some of these prayers in Scripture that it's not wrong to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm bothered by this. There can be a transparency in your prayer. You're not having to put on a fake face with God. Okay? We want to unpack that reasonably. I love the way that, again, Larry Richards mentions this in one of his books. He says, as long as God's people brought their complaints to him, rather than complaining about their circumstances to one another, God listened and responded. In bringing their complaints to God, his people found fresh insights and understanding, gained new perspectives, discovered unexpected solutions, and were reassured and healed. Now, there's two places we tend to take our complaints. Okay, are you with me? Sometimes when we're negative about something, we take it to somebody else. Sometimes when we're complaining about something, uh, we just take it to ourselves, right? I I'll ask a question. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. But how many of you from time to time, when you're frustrated with something, talk to yourself about it? Okay, some honest people. That's great. My hand is high here, okay? Like if sometimes you see, you, you pass me driving and you think, Wow, Pastor Phil must be in a cell phone talking to somebody. I may just be talking to myself, okay? I'm going to tell you that in advance. So we get in our own heads about this stuff. And the things we complain about, we complain about in our heads. What I want you to see is this. The Bible is so clear that, it is, that both of those places, in your head or to somebody else, is not where you should take your grievance. You should take it directly to the Lord. It may be voiced to God, but it must not be voiced to others about God. We just sung this morning about this great God and all that he is. He is the one we should take our grievance to. Let me just show you that in a couple of ways, okay? Turn to the Lord when others are complaining about you. Just to give you two quick occurrences. When others are complaining about you, turn to the Lord. Let me take you back to the book of Exodus in chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5, here's the story. Moses was out in the wilderness for 40 years by himself. God did some training. At the end of that process, God introduces him to himself through the burning bush. Remember that? And God says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh to set my people free. Okay? And Moses says, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Take that staff, throw it down. Oh, it's a snake. Pick it up. It's a staff. I want you to stick your hand inside your robe, pull it out. It's got leprosy. Stick it back in and no leprosy. Okay? I am with you, Moses. Go tell him. So Moses goes and tells Pharaoh, God said, let the people go. This is what Moses says. I say, I'm not going to do that. And furthermore, I think your people are lazy. 
So I want them to make the same amount of bricks, actually, maybe more bricks, but I want them to make it without the straw that I normally gave them. Now you can see automatically, all of the Israelite people immediately say, Moses, whatever you said to Pharaoh, we do not like it. And they're upset at Moses. That's the story. What does Moses do with that complaint? I want you to see that. And Moses, I love this, turned to the Lord. See it? Moses turned to the Lord and he said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Now I've circled at all because whenever we complain, we tend to talk in 100% language, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever done that at home. I'm guilty of that. Uh, Sometimes when Kim and I have had um, a struggle, I've used the word never or always, and I know that's not true of her. Um, When we get into a complaining mode, we speak in 100% language. Here's what I want you to see. Moses does exactly that. You haven't delivered these people at all. God is big enough that he can handle your complaining when you talk to him about it. In fact, there's four times, four of these complaints in the Bible where the why question is asked. Why have you done this? Why did you do this, Lord? And again, sometimes God answers as he does with Job at the end by saying, listen, where were you when I did all of this? Sometimes he answers with Habakkuk by saying, Habakkuk, sit down, let me show you my glory. But, But the point is, is that God doesn't strike these people for bringing a complaint that they do not understand to him. If you are facing others who are complaining about you, rather than complain about them, rather than complain in your head, here's what you want to do. Take that complaint to God. And I would couch it in an Exodus 5 way so that you're operating within the clear parameters of Scripture. Lord, I don't know why you're doing this. Why did you do this? You can ask him. I'm trying to do what you want me to do, but it seems like you haven't acted. Now, here's what's really important. God was acting on behalf of the Israelite people, but he wasn't acting in the timetable that Moses saw. And so Moses brought the grievance or the complaint to God. Let me show you another one. Here it is. Turn to the Lord when you don't understand the outcome. Turn to the Lord when you don't understand the outcome. There's another occurrence uh, later in the book of Joshua where Joshua, bear in mind, probably a little insecure in his leadership, he, they had just said goodbye to Moses, the greatest leader that the Israelite people had ever known. It, the reins were handed over to him. He didn't even have Moses to ask any questions because Moses died on the mountain. And God said, listen, Joshua, take these people into the promised land and I'll give you that land. And they go into the land. Now, you may remember this story. And immediately, remarkable things happen. Like the, they cross the River Jordan, it dries up. They come to the city of Jericho and the walls fall down like God is active. And you gotta know that they were probably starting to think, this is cool, like we can't lose. We, this is gonna be a winning season when we take back this land that God had promised us. Except there was a guy by the name of Achan who took something that God told them not to take. And Joshua doesn't know that. And so when they come up against a small army, another small army to drive them out of the land, Joshua says, oh, listen, we don't even need half the people that we normally take up there. Let's send them up there. And they were defeated. They were routed. And Joshua doesn't know what to do with that. So he takes the complaint to the Lord. And Joshua said, alas, O Lord. See how it's a prayer? 
Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over Jordan? See the word again? At all. See, when we get into complaining spirit, we tend to make it that 100% kind of idea. Why do we even come here? To give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. We should have just stayed in the wilderness, Lord. We shouldn't have come over to the promised land. See how that complaint and grievance is working because Joshua doesn't understand all of the circumstances. He doesn't understand that God is judging the nation because somebody has stolen something and God's going to reveal that and that's what he does. And here's what I want you to see. Turn to the Lord when you don't understand the outcome or the circumstances. That's great. Now, we have to make sure that that complaint comes with the right attitude and the right way. And remember last week I gave you this image for a good picture of what prayer is like? A child holding an adult's hand, the adult sees and understands things that the child doesn't, right? So when we bring our grievance to the Lord, which we can, by the way, according to the Scriptures, within the parameters of Scriptures, we bring it childlike, not acting like we know what God is doing, but simply expressing where we are struggling with the circumstances. Third idea, third thematic idea in prayer is confession. It may start as feelings of guilt, but it must conclude with ownership of wrongs done. When we talk about confession in our prayer time, um, sometimes we come to the Lord and with, with overwhelming feelings of guilt for something we did that was wrong. I recognize that the feelings of guilt or the feelings of regret may drive that, but that may be the start of it. You just can't come if you only feel guilty. Confession, genuine confession, means that you're taking ownership of the wrongs done. In fact, in the New Testament, the word confess is actually this word. It's a Greek word, hama legeo. Legeo to speak, hama the same. To speak the same about whatever we did that God says. We don't try to change it. We don't try to correct it. But we acknowledge and conclude with ownership of wrongs done. And the second Samuel, chapter 12, verse 13 verse is simply this, okay? It is King David who has been confronted by Nathan for his sin with Bathsheba and for the killing, the arranged killing, like a mobster, of her husband on the battlefield, okay? That's serious. All accounts of that are serious. And when David is confronted by Nathan, his words are not filled with excuses. His words are not, well, Bathsheba's a beautiful woman. His words are none of that. He simply says this, I have sinned against God. I have sinned against the Lord. He immediately acknowledges in his confession that he took ownership for his wrongdoing. In fact, take your Bibles and go with me to Psalm 51. For what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, he unpacks even further in Psalm 51. And there's no slide for this, so you've you got to grab your Bible here and look at it with me. Notice how he starts this prayer, and, and we know because the inspired text says, the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now, can you imagine? Uh, the psalms are the Hebrews' hymn book, so here's what's happening. David writes this song, and, and inspired by God, and it is included in the hymnal, okay? Forever, people would remember these words. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Just notice his words, mercy on me, 
according to your blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. See, total ownership. David's taking total ownership. He's not saying it's somebody else's. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother con- my, did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being that is in my heart and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So here it is, David saying, I'm taking total responsibility. When you and I come to pray to the Lord, we should start at some point by simply saying, Lord, where have I sinned? I want to take ownership. Let me show you another occurrence in the book of Nehemiah, chapter one. There when Nehemiah is praying, a whole section of his prayer is dedicated to confession. And and I love this because remember, Nehemiah's off in a foreign country. He's there because the people were idolatrous and now they've been over there for some 70 years and because God said that was what was going to happen to them because of their idolatry. And it would be easy for Nehemiah to say, hey, listen, I've been trying to worship the Lord God. It's the people that were the problem. Notice how he confesses this in verse 6. Let your ear, he says, a prayer to God. Be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. For the people of Israel, your servants, here it comes, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. You say, what well, sounds like he's talking about them. Notice what comes next. Which we, he just included himself, have sinned against you. And now he's even more specific. I and my father's house have sinned. But he gets even more definitive. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Total ownership. Nehemiah, like David, isn't blaming anybody else. Now, let me teach you two things about your confession real quickly. Confession should be free of blame shifting. That means you're not going to point to somebody else. And it should be free from excuse making. That is, you're not going to point to your circumstances. So you're not going to say, you know, I only did this because that person, okay, no, 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 no. You had the ability to freely choose. So we don't blame shift off to somebody else. A friend of mine used to say it this way, and and I like the language. He said, another person may be the secondary cause of your sin, but they cannot be the primary cause. In other words, when you say something like, that person makes me so mad, They may be the secondary cause of stirring up anger, but they cannot be the primary cause because the primary cause, the first modal cause is what is actually happening in your heart. You didn't get what you wanted, and here's how it works. We see secondary causes and blame shift to them. It's not a true confession. Confession doesn't point to somebody else. A genuine confession takes the responsibility. And a confession shouldn't be, it should be free from excuse making. If only I wasn't this, or if only I hadn't grown up this way, or if only, if only, if only, that's excuse making looking at your circumstances. Genuine confession may start as feelings of guilt, but it must conclude with ownership. There's one more prayer word there I wanna point out to you. It's the word blessing. It's the word blessing. Now, there's this kind of weird way that the Bible speaks about it when it says, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of God. It's like, normally when we think of a blessing, we think of the higher power 
blessing the lower individual, right? Like a king would say, this is your blessing, or a father um, would say, I'm blessing you, or a mother might say, I'm blessing you. So in other words, there's, there's this, it, it seems to go from top down. But here we are told over and over again, blessed be the name of God, which means we are here blessing God in some way. And probably the best way to think about that is that it kind of works like praising God when we see these phrases, blessed be the name of the Lord. So we may not fully understand our circumstances, but we must learn, here's the phrase, we must learn to praise God whether they are good or difficult. I didn't say good or bad because we know that nothing bad um, comes from the Lord, but we do know because he can't sin, but we do know this, that it doesn't mean it won't be difficult. So whether they are good or difficult, we want to find a way to praise the Lord. And the truth is, we have to learn that. We have to learn that. And I'll show you that in a couple of places. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Now, let me just give you a little bit of a context here. This is such a great story. Daniel is uh, one of those young men who was taken out of his homeland, and he was transported off to Babylon. And over there in Babylon, he's being raised up to become a worldly Babylonian. Okay, that's what they're trying to do. But Daniel's still worshiping the true and living God. In Daniel chapter 2, the king has a dream. A pagan king has a dream, and this is what he says. I want somebody to tell me what my dream was about and then interpret it for me. And all the wise people, all the magicians of of Babylon say, that's impossible. You tell us your dream and we'll tell you what it means. And he says, that's not how it's going to work. If you're truly wise, you can tell me what I dreamed even though though I've never shared it. And Daniel, Daniel does this amazing thing. He makes an appointment to meet with the king even though he doesn't have the answer. I want to meet with the king tomorrow. And then he goes back to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, here's what I want you guys to do. You need to pray because I made an appointment with the king that I'll have an answer for him tomorrow. And you can almost picture these friends saying to him something like, do you have an answer now? Okay. No, I don't have an answer now. But you made an appointment without an answer? Okay. Like that really wasn't very wise. And then God gives the answer of what the dream was, and then Daniel's going to interpret it. The next day, he's going to get shared with the king. But watch this. In that setting, this is the prayer that Daniel makes. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Notice how this blessing is him saying what God does. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. This is beautiful. He gives this, he says, I'm going to bless the Lord, I'm going to tell you what the Lord does, and then I'm just going to give him praise for the fact that he gave an answer. Beautiful. But you see, blessing isn't only about the times God answers like that. We should be blessing the Lord, remember what the statement says, whether the times are good or difficult. Let me give you another phrase where we read, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job chapter 1, verse 20. After losing all of his children, after losing all of his wealth, after losing his physical health, and when he sought counsel from his wife, she gave such encouraging words. These were her words. 
curse God and die. That's not very helpful. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Just say this phrase with me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's what I want you to do. Say it with me again. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want you to think momentarily of something difficult that you had to go through in life. Not just the good things, not just the things where you say, wow, God's grace is so evident, but the most difficult thing you ever faced. Can you say, blessed be the name of the Lord? Because that's the mark of this prayer kind of blessing. Here it is again. We may not fully understand our circumstances. See, prayer is this act of faith, but we must learn to praise God whether they are good or difficult. You say, wow, I don't know that I can do that. And I would encourage you, even as we sung this morning, to just return momentarily and dwell upon the gospel, what it is that God gave, how it is that God suffered, how it is that Jesus sacrificed. Because we see God doing incredible good things in our life through the fact that his son went through something very, very difficult, and yet, didn't, and yet he never looked at the father and blamed the father. He understood, even though it was painful. Hebrews 12 says, he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. So there is a place in here where we can say, life is challenging, life is hard. I brought my grievances to the Lord, I brought my request to the Lord, and still it's difficult. But in that, I can still praise the Lord. Will you bow your heads with me? Pastor Justin's going to lead us in a time of communion and a reminder for us that, um, that we look at these elements and we remember what Christ has done. But I just want to pause and pray for you this morning. If, if you have come through an especially difficult time, if the last year or two was really, really hard, I just want to remind you that we can say with Job, by faith, by faith, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'd like to pray for you right now. Lord, you do not promise us the easiest of lives. In fact, sometimes you tell us that we must take up our cross and follow you. We don't always get what we desire. We don't always get what we want. And sometimes that loss comes with great pain and great grief. It's easy for us to complain to others, to complain in our head. Help us, Lord, by faith, bring those grievances to you and help us learn to say, even in spite of the difficulty, blessed be the name of the Lord. Help us, by faith, praise you, praise you. And help us learn to talk to you better than we did before as we develop a habit of prayer that grows out of faith, not out of what we feel. In Jesus' name.